Hi there. My name is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation, and this is the Space for You podcast, a new effort by the Space Foundation to tell the stories of the amazing people who have made and continue to make the space adventure possible. Behind all the amazing science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are real people who bring their energy, creativity, and gifts to make these amazing adventures and discoveries a reality. Every month, we at the Space Foundation will be sitting down with some of those amazing people to learn more about their work, what they've learned along the way, how they got there, and where they see the future going. Today, we're sitting down with Bill Ingalls, NASA's senior photographer who has literally captured the adventure of space around the world for three decades. From launch pads in Florida, California, and even Russia, to historic events in Washington and other major cities and far-off locations around the world, the jaw-dropping images Bill captures have appeared in every major newspaper and media outlet imaginable. He has, for lack of better description, been the master visual storyteller of the human adventure of space, and we are really thrilled to have him join us as we kick off our podcast series. Bill, thank you for joining us, and I've got to start off with this. How did you get this amazing front row seat job? Well, thank you, Rich. I really appreciate your asking me to be here today, and I think I'm better behind the camera than on the microphone, but happy to answer your questions and, and to talk a little bit about my career at NASA so far as a contract senior photographer. I got the job uh, through University of Waynesburg University. Uh, I was taking a visual communications and English degree there, and one of the alum worked at NASA headquarters, Joe Headley, and he said he would take on an intern for the summer. And at my school, you competed for internships, and so I went ahead and applied for the competition in that and uh, worked hard to, to get it. Uh, had a valuable lesson learned uh, through that experience, which is when they told me that I had gotten the internship, I was rather surprised because some of the people I was running up against I thought were extremely talented. And they said that they uh, all had become intimidated with the prospect of uh, being at NASA headquarters and had dropped out. So... Uh, valuable lesson for me, you know, stick with it, hang in there, uh, good things will happen. So I, I was an intern at NASA for a summer doing television as a writer and producer, and they knew I did photography as well. Um, I hounded NASA after that summer and said I wanted to work there so badly, and uh, I think they got tired of me calling, actually, and just figured, get them a desk in the corner, and we won't hear from them as much. Got brought me on as a photo researcher and photographer and given the opportunity to try to revitalize the senior photographer position at NASA headquarters, which had dropped in stature uh, somewhat throughout the years. So, Why did it drop in stature? Um, I think some of the skill sets that were there for pe- people previous to me weren't really up to snuff. And uh, it maybe was not their passion and their number one thing. I, I can't really say since I wasn't there, but... Uh, so they, they told me there's a camera cabinet in the corner. Go take an inventory of it and see what you like. And uh, NASA was gracious enough to help beef that up a little bit. Although, I will tell you, I never got rid of anything in that camera cabinet. I'm a little bit of a hoarder. And uh, a lot of those cameras have quite a bit of history uh, behind them with uh, the gentleman that did have my job during the Apollo days. A lot of his cameras are still in my cabinet. So so Joe Headley was your your sort of mentor in getting started there? Yes, he was, he was, well, he was my direct report, yeah, for the NASA headquarters. So who was the mentor that got you started with uh, photography and, and inspired you to pick up uh, this incredible tool and capture? 
it wasn't anyone in particular that first got me going with photography. It was, you know, like many, I, I had a passion for it and I enjoyed it and loved it. My father was a great inspiration as far as doing what you enjoy doing, though. He he was a successful businessman, a Yale graduate, and, and kind of an intimidating figure to me as far as a success story. Um, but to my relief, he said, hey, you should do what you find your passion with and what you enjoy doing and you'll be good at it. And that happened to be television and photography at that time. Early on, of course, like many photographers of my age, Ansel Adams was was a big uh, influence on me. I loved his work. Um, Eugene Smith, a uh, photojournalist that uh, uh, did a lot for Life magazine, uh, The Doctor Story, and he also covered Pittsburgh quite a bit. And then um, Arno uh, Minkinen is someone uh, bought me a book of his work called Frostbite and black and white photos of him bending himself in all sorts of strange shapes and in Finland and uh, his sense of humor with photography really spoke to me and I love that. So, you know, seeing work of others and, and just having a passion for it, I think is what inspired me. You've covered every possible aspect of the space adventure, and in particular launches, both here in the United States, Russia, and elsewhere. Tell me, what do you do to capture those images? What kind of equipment do you carry? Where do you figure out where to stand to capture those images? How do you do that? Sure. So there's a a couple different sides to that, of course. One is the technical side. What equipment are you going to need? Uh, Where will you place it? how will it work, et cetera. And the other side of that, of course, is the logistics with the people, you know, getting the access, what permissions you can have, building relationships. And I would say with Russia and my work with uh, Roscosmos in in Kazakhstan and in Moscow, it's really been about the relationship and and getting to know and trust each other quite a bit uh, throughout the years uh, to where they permit me to do quite a few things. And, And my colleagues, Joel and Aubrey as well, who helps support launches in uh, Kazakhstan. Technically, it's it's about putting gear as close and in creative positions to get the shots that we can without trying not to fry the cameras. We, we take our best uh, shots and creativity. Those cameras, of course, get closer than you would want to stand to see a launch. So remote photography is key for those kinds of things. So how many cameras will you deploy for a launch? And how do you pick the shots that ultimately go out to the news media. Sure, sure. Um, it varies. It, it, you know, when you're traveling, of course, it's about uh, how many cases of gear and the weight and, you know, where do you draw the line on that? Uh, it gets expensive as well. And physically, it's, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, so I don't care to break my back every trip. So I, I'm, I start to preach more and more now, less is more. <laughs> but... No, I'd say typically for me, uh, for a uh, Soyuz launch, you know, I'll put six or seven remote cameras out and then I'll shoot with about three cameras in total from where I'm standing. Of course, two of those are typically remote, but where I am. But it depends. You know, when we go to Wallops Island uh, for a launch, it's we can load up the car and drive. We're not flying, so we tend to uh, pack a few more things into the car and tell the car can't take any more gear. So, and then as far as choosing the shots, it's all about trying to find a creative, unique angle. And um, not every one of those cameras that we place put out in the field is going to yield something. So um, sometimes there's technical issues. Sometimes it just doesn't turn out to be such a great picture. So what kind of equipment do you carry to mm. capture all of this? Sure. So the cameras we put out around the launch pad are, are professional DSLR cameras or digital single lens reflex cameras that 
any professional would buy. Uh, for Soyuz launches to trigger them, we use a typical off-the-shelf camera release that just counts down because they launch uh, like clockwork and they don't have a launch window. For other launches that have a launch window, that is to say that, hey, we may launch between 5 and 7 p.m., we obviously can't have those cameras just start shooting for two hours. The cameras would be full. So we use a sound-activated trigger to uh, listen, and as soon as it hears a loud, a loud noise, it triggers the camera and starts shooting multiple frames per second. So what's the difference between covering a launch at Kennedy Space Center, Vandenberg, and, say, Russia? Sure. Differences are technical as well as uh, the people that you're dealing with and so forth. For Russia, Kazakhstan, Baikonur, where they launch, we're awfully close. Uh, again, we have the remotes that we talked about, and that's true for any launch, put remotes close to the, to the rocket. But, but where we physically stand for a launch, uh, for a Soyuz launch, we're only three-quarters of a mile away, so we're very close. Now, again, it's a smaller rocket, of course, but we're close. It's pretty impressive to, to have that happen right in front of you, whereas a shuttle, by um, comparison, we were three miles away for, for a launch. Isn't it a little intimidating to be three-quarters of a mile from what is essentially a controlled explosion going <laughs> off in front of you? Yeah. No, it's pretty exciting, actually. Um, that being said... So my, the ground's still moving for you, right? Absolutely. That being said, my very first Soyuz launch was Mir 18 in 1995, and I was about 120 yards from the rocket. I was at the edge of the flame trench next to a bunker. I'm not sure why I wasn't in the bunker, but... What made you think it was a good idea to stand I, 125 yards away from a launch vehicle? I did vehicle? not think it was a good idea. I thought that I was going to be taken away after I set up my remotes, but I was told that I would just stay there. And In fact, I was told that if I died, I'd be buried with full honors. You know, no, oh, that's no, nice. No problems. <laughs> there, there would be nothing left. <laughs> yeah. Now, that being said, it was it was an incredible experience. Uh, you know, I don't care to do that again. It was a little too loud for my ears, but pretty amazing. I f it was minus 15 outside, and but I felt the heat. It got the, warm real fast. It got warm real fast, and then it got cold real fast again. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Setting up, so if you're three quarters of a mile from, from in Russia, yes. you're three, how many? Three miles away for a shuttle launch. Um, I believe at Wallops were somewhere two to three miles as well from the rocket. Okay, so. Yeah. Vandenberg, same, probably, yeah. Three so, miles. Obviously, at the Kennedy and at Wallops, you've yeah. got some swampy coastal conditions. Right. Vandenberg also has some fog, fog <laughs> and coastal conditions. Right. But Russia, you've just got a big, colossal, open tundra. Yeah, although we've had fog situation there as well. Where, where we're standing, we see nothing. So remote cameras are extremely important for launches. Uh, and they tend to get some interesting photos that, that you don't get from where we're standing anyway, even if it is a clear day. What about landings? What's the big, big difference there? I mean, sure. for the shuttle, you had a pretty good idea of where it was going to land, either at Kennedy or Edwards mm -hmm. in California. But in Russia, that's a whole other experience. What's right. it like to cover those landings versus, say, you know, any of the shuttle experiences? Right. Well, from my perspective, with the shuttle, for example, I was there primarily to help support uh, our NASA senior leadership that was there to witness the landing. So... My role was to try to tie those things together, to photograph the administrator watching the landing or deputy administrator, and then doing the walk around uh, the shuttle underneath. Now, of course, I would photograph the landing, but that really wasn't my primary goal at that point. Whereas with a Soyuz, that is my primary goal. I'm in one of the first three helicopters that takes off to the landing zone. 
typically in a Russian MI-8, we go up to about 10,000 feet and then we open the door and sneak ourselves out a little bit. And uh, myself and some other journalists and we... Uh, what do you mean yeah. sneak yourselves out well, of a helicopter? Just, just, just our shoulders and head are, you know, kind of... Li- I'm laying down typically because I'm one of the bigger guys. Okay, so is there a and belt? Do you have a belt? I have a little belt and a little wire that... Uh, a yeah. little belt and a little wire. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging out of a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, and then I have someone typically sitting on top of me as well, which is nice. So I guess that's yeah. safer than standing 125 yards away from in a launch trench. I don't know which is worse, but yeah, yeah. It, anyway, it gets a little cold and windy up there. Yeah, especially uh, uh, this last landing, it was minus 20, and then they say for every 1,000 feet, you subtract 3.5. Now, that being said, this last landing, our pilot didn't find the Soyuz, so we never opened the door, but... I didn't get to see it till it was on the ground. But and typically, though, when we do have eyes on it, we'll open the door and we'll and the pilot. They're just amazing. They'll circle the Soyuz and we fall it all the way down to the ground. And if we're lucky, we get to see uh, get to see it land and get uh, even, even luckier. I get to see the retro rockets fire, which is a millisecond, uh, and get the shot with the flames coming out the bottom. When a shuttle lands, they crawl through the opening and then come down a flight of stairs. But when a Soyuz lands, essentially they're popping the top on a round can. Right, right. What's the what's the sort of is there any sort of difference in the human emotion of seeing something like that? Well, uh, again, for me, my perspective, I was never really at the front door of the shuttle per se when they would open it. I would see them later when they would come down the stairs. So it is very different from from my perspective uh, in that regard. That literally right there with others seeing it all happen firsthand and um, it's very exciting I mean it's it's fun to watch the crew take in the fresh air and it's one of the comments I hear often about how wonderful it is to smell earth dirt and get the fresh air and and to see them react some aren't always feeling so well at first and they have to kind of get their legs again and and are helped and uh, even those that do feel strong often uh, just out of abundance of precaution everyone kind of Huddles around them and helps carry them and so forth. But it's a real thrill to see to see them go through all that. Often they're presented with some small gifts like an apple or a cucumber or some flowers, and to to see them react to you know they've they've had good food in space and 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 they've been healthy. But to get fresh food like that and the smells of Earth, I think it's pretty pretty interesting. So you've captured some of those things. But taking back to the beginning of your career, that what was the first shoot? you had to do when mm. you joined the NASA team? Mm. I, I don't recall the very first shoot, but I within the first two weeks of being at NASA, I was sent to the White House for the Apollo anniversary. I'll never forget to this day what that was like for me to, uh, from NASA, hop in a taxi cab and, and ask to be taken to the northwest gate of the White House. I had to pinch myself. I mean, that's, it's a, a, you know, from a kid from Pittsburgh to end up in D.C., and all of a sudden, here I am at the White House uh, with the Apollo 11 crew. It was a real thrill. And I must say, even though we don't drive to the Northwest Gate in a taxi anymore, it's still an incredible honor whenever we get to do those kinds of photo assignments. I say we because my colleagues, Joel and Aubrey, uh, also support these kinds of things as well. So you walk into the White House, you've got the president, you've got other dignitaries, and you've got the legendary Apollo 11 crew. (laughs) Did you really pinch yourself when you were sitting there saying, holy cow, here I am? Uh, I think I was more, holy cow, I hope I make a good picture here. <laughs> and that's true of any one of these shoots. I think I think the pressure, when you start to realize that, that your camera is the eyes for 
the thousands of people that can't be there. That's a huge responsibility. So um, I think the moment, uh, the realization of where I was and, and what I witnessed typically comes later after I've reviewed the imagery, after I've edited, after I've had time to reflect. Do you keep a journal? I did when I first started, and then I stopped, and I, it's a terrible mistake. I would recommend anyone who's out there keep a journal. Now, Rob Navius, who's the voice of NASA, has a very good journal that he keeps every single day. He's got volumes and volumes and volumes. Someday I might have to ask Rob to help me remember a few things. Yeah, I think the two yeah. of you have a book in you somewhere. <laughs> but you talked about the responsibility of capturing those moments and images. And images have a way of transcending words and language. And can you share some thoughts on a couple of your most notable shots and what mm-hmm. messages you think those images sent? I'm not sure about the messages portion of that. And for me, what's memorable changes on a regular basis, there are a few things off the top of my head that stand out. And and one is, uh, of course, Neil Armstrong's passing and um, the incredible honor that the family gave me to to, uh, be in Ohio and be the only photographer of the family service and then to fly to Florida for his burial at sea and the Navy giving me uh, total leeway to, to document that. That was a huge moment for me personally. I just felt incredibly honored. Again, huge responsibility. Did not want to screw that up. I feel comfortable with what I did, uh, which is good. Um, but that was a big memorable moment for me. Sometimes just uh, you know getting a unique picture, something that I hadn't been able to do before, becomes memorable to me. Uh, the Maven launch, for example, at a Kennedy Space Center was one of those moments. I'd put a camera out in the swamp, as many photographers do. I, this one area, I think I was off to myself. And uh, when I went back to retrieve the camera, I was doing what we call in the business chimping, which is in the days of digital cameras, you uh, look on the back screen, and as you go through each of the pictures, you know, it's ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> and so I'm chimping through the uh, remote camera for Maven launch, and there I found a frame where the during the launch where the egrets and the birds were all around taking off at the same time the rocket's launching. And, and uh, it just was kind of a beautiful image to me and unique in that regard. Other memorable moments, I think they're more personal for me. JFK Jr.'s last visit to the White House uh, when Bill Clinton was president was a big deal for me. Any time I photographed a president, the Queen when she was at the Goddard Space Flight Center was a very memorable moment for me. And one thing I always tell people when I give talks and show photos is what I discuss when the space shuttles were being sent to the various museums around the country. Um, it was kind of a bittersweet moment in the fact that uh, I didn't like to see that the shuttles were being put away without something ready to go and, instead. But on the other hand, um, what a great moment to be able to photograph this amazing hardware literally right next to people with their emotions and their reactions. You know, as the shuttle's going through the streets of Los Angeles to see people on the roofs of their homes and people with tears in their eyes and jaws drop and pointing, and to be able to capture that with the shuttle in the same frame. I mean, that's typically it's, you know, here's a launch and here's people reacting. Trying to tie the two together is always a real challenge. But here's a spacecraft coming down your neighborhood street. Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Something just doesn't happen every day. Right. Um, Right. So you've talked a little bit about uh, earlier about some of the cameras that you've used. But you have one camera that has been a bit 
well, let's just say, <laughs> has its own history. Yeah, and I would say an own texture and even smell. It has its own name. It has its own name. The charred camera. Toasty Cam. Toasty Cam. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me the story about Toasty Cam and how a guy with your experience uh, in, in, in photographing all of these launches, after doing all these launches, all of a sudden gets a camera that ends up being... Well, let's just say, I don't want to say deep fried, but I think charred is probably sure. the right. Uh, crispy. Or, or yeah. crispy. crispy. That's probably even yeah. better. How did that happen? Well, Rich, I was really, uh, wanted to increase my social media following, so I set the <laughs> camera on fire. No, I'm just What's better than setting yourself you know, in that um no, no, I was looking for, it was at a uh, SpaceX launch at Vandenberg Air Force Base, and it turns out this camera was actually the furthest camera from the launch pad. It was misreported when it first came out that it was, was up close. This was the furthest camera from the pad. It was across the direct line of sight from the flame trench, uh, but oh, I can tell you how far away it was, but it was pretty far. It just so happened that that flame trench shot out enough flame to catch the vegetation on fire on that hillside. And the hillside fire crept its way up, and uh, you know, the rest is history. It melted my camera and set it ablaze. Luckily, the flashcard remained intact and was able to get some pictures out of that. And the camera's gone. It's toast. I mean, oh, I have it on my desk. It smells like a campfire. So you've yeah. got the camera. So is the... Yeah. Will it have its own exhibit space somewhere uh, in the Air and Space Museum or I where? Think it, I think it should. It hasn't been figured out yet, but I think it should, yes. Okay. Should. And and we have other cameras that, that might want to go with that uh, from other launches as well. That, that have also been charred? A little bit charred, yeah. A little bit charred. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Some of my colleagues have so, done, their, done their bit too. How did you find this camera after it, basically a California hillside catches fire? Uh, was it still <laughs> in its stand or no, what happened? No, I knew there was a fire and the firemen weren't letting me up on the hillside and, and I was pretty much in fear for the camera's life since I saw where it was. Uh, finally, they let me run up the hill and they were still there putting out some small fires and i didn't see the camera though and the one of the firemen said oh you must be the photographer it's in the back of my pickup truck and i went and looked and there it was in its little burnt self and he said yeah he said um, not only was it on fire but i nearly drove over it as well so it, it almost had a second uh, death as well but <laughs> uh, does a homeowner's policy cover that camera replacement or what? I, I don't know. We'll have to talk to NASA about that. Okay. One. All sure. right. Yeah. Not sure. But, you know, I had to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. But as much as space is about the high tech and the cool gadgets, it's also about the really amazing people that make all this stuff happen. And, and you've mentioned a couple names. I mean, you've had a chance to get close to people like John Glenn and Neil Armstrong and so many other space legends. What's that experience been like? And what's been like to develop people with literally who are part of our history, that are legends, and that um, you say either their first name or their last name, and PD people, people automatically know who you're talking about. What's that like? It's been a real honor. I think that's the word that comes back to me often with all the kind of work that NASA has given me to do. I mean, I know that the reason that I have gotten to know these folks is through my work at NASA, and that's the only reason that our paths have crossed. And it's a little bit of a balancing act because, you know, as much as I get to know them, my job is to stay aback and document what's happening in front of us and in the news and the events. But yeah, I, I, I have been very fortunate uh, through the years to uh, have worked with John Glenn and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and <coughs> Mike Collins and others. I don't take it lightly. I think it's a huge responsibility to be around these folks and to document what they're doing. And I want to build trust with them, as with anyone. 
Our photography is a lot about trust and comfort and making sure that these folks know that, you know, you're not going to do them wrong. So, yeah. so as you build that rapport and trust, though, I mean, you've got to be starstruck every mm-hmm. now and then. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're, you either have history or, again, a, a famous entertainer or personality or something like that, or even a president. Don't you get starstruck? I do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, I mean, it becomes clear very quickly that everyone is, is human. You know, uh, folks consider themselves fortunate. I mean, I remember, I remember when I met Jeff Bezos and uh, how I just thought it was so cool that he said, look, I've won the lottery. I'm a very, very fortunate person. He, he did not come off as I deserve. I am the richest person on right, the planet. Right, right. I deserve this. And, you know, I mean, not that he's not deserving, but I considered him to be very humble about the whole thing. And And, uh, and most people in those situations that I've gotten to meet and experience have been like that, luckily for me. None more so, though, than John Glenn and Neil Armstrong. I mean, the two of them were just salt of the earth. And I, John Glenn would just, I mean, I remember him coming into a room and there literally could be the president of the United States and, and some of the custodial staff. And John Glenn would treat everyone the same it was such respect. And I just love that. I loved it. What's been your toughest assignment that you've been given as NASA's photographer? Yeah, I don't. I can't think of one specifically, and, and as I've mentioned in other talks I've, I've given, I think, I mean, part of it's maybe just my personality or, or, or maybe the personality of a photographer. I don't know that there are some that are technically difficult, of course, but, but even the ones that aren't technically difficult, I think they become difficult for me because I, I want to do the best I can. I mean, uh, the example I give is press conferences at NASA headquarters. I mean, we've been in the auditorium a hundred times. We've shot a million press conferences in there. The room doesn't change. It's physically the same room every time. But I consider it, and I think my colleagues would say the same, a challenge to try to come up with something interesting, something unique. So in that regard, every shoot is a bit of its own challenge. Uh, Maybe not technically, but visually to come up with something interesting. When you, given the, the portion of your career, you started with film, and now, of course, everything is digital. Mm-hmm. How hard was that transition? Or has it made your life easier that you could produce more images and mm-hmm. transmit them faster? Or has it just made it harder to select which shots go out? Sure. Uh, all the above. <laughs> the answer, yeah. I um, I was a holdout. I didn't go to digital as quick as many. Um, you know, I used to take a darkroom with me everywhere I traveled around the world. I had a, a big uh, storage tub with chemicals and tanks and reels and uh, hair dryers and would develop my stuff and there was a phase in between where I would still shoot film but I would develop my film in the hotel bathroom and and then scan scan the negatives and and transmit that back via phone line which often would take two hours to send one image and of course inevitably one hour into it the phone connection would drop and You'd have to start all over again. I bet the hotel cleaning staff loved you. They did, yeah. In, in Moscow, I remember once when they, they came in unannounced, and I was there with my smock and rubber gloves on in the bathroom with all the crazy things going, chemicals all around. They went screaming out of there. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But with digital, um, it's it's fantastic. I mean, on one hand, I'm, I can do this chimping and see how I'm doing on the back of the camera right away, get a sense of how I'm doing. I can certainly take more photos if I need to than, than I certainly did back in the days of 36 exposures on a roll. Also, there are times, though, where you get a little lazy, and, and that's kind of, you don't think as much. 
but you work around that. But the downside really with digital for me, I mean, all, all of it's for the most part a plus. I, I'm very happy not to carry a dark room around the world anymore. I love that my laptop is my dark room. My satellite dish is the same size as my laptop when I'm in remote parts of the world, such as Kazakhstan. And I can get things out the door. The problem, of course, is that now with uh, everyone wanting to see things right away. So the pressure to be quick and to get things out the door, and not just a picture, but a picture with an AP-style caption with keywording with an ID assigned to it, all the proper metadata in there. Uh, the pressure to get that stuff out quick um, is the only downside to it because often I'm having to put the cameras down and miss some of the story that's happening to meet that need and to feed that machine. You talked uh, earlier in our conversation about some of the people that now work with you uh, and, again, how you got your own position at NASA headquarters. How do you train people for what is the photographic uh, the, the photographic job of a lifetime? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what type of skills are you looking for? How do you train them to know where to stand, how to record a particular uh, epic space event, launch, landing, whatever that may be? Sure, sure. I don't train them. I... I um I've been very fortunate that the folks I work with um, and I've hired throughout the years have come in with a skill set that has really gotten them on the ground running, I believe, from from day one. Sure, there's some small nuances about our workflow that need to be learned, but often I'm learning more from the folks that work with and I hire in my office than they probably do from me. Uh, I can't tell you how much throughout the years people that have come on board have taught me and, and helped me up my game technically and uh, and creatively, you know, creatively. How about that for a word? Uh, <laughs> sort of like strategery. Yeah, exactly, like strategery. Now, whether they've learned anything from me, I think you'd have to ask them. But I don't necessarily sit down and today say, today we're having class and I'm going to teach you this. So I'd say for the most part I'm learning from them. What's the elusive shot that you have not captured yet that you're still working on? Okay, well... I often say that, that uh, for me, it's, it's not a particular shot, but it's the, um, the interest of getting more of the human element of spaceflight in my, in my work and, and the emotion that goes with that and the people behind the scenes. Uh, you know, when the space shuttles were retiring and we talked about this earlier, I think maybe that, you know, when the shuttle was coming through Washington, D.C., you had photographers on rooftops throughout the city and Smithsonian photographers were helping us and... You know, you see one amazing picture coming in the space shuttle with a capital behind another amazing picture with the Mon- Washington Monument and the White House. After like the fifth or sixth one, you're like, oh, all right, it's a space shuttle. Uh, we're missing something here. <laughs> and you start to see pictures come in with the human element where people reacting and people with their jaws dropped. And, and you start to realize this is what really grabs you. This is, yes, the hardware is impressive. It launches are cool. But to tie that together with the human element. So I would say, if anything, I would love to improve that amongst my work, to see more of that in my work. You and your team have had your pictures on the front page of every major newspaper in the world, let alone all the social media posts. What's it feel like to have your work be front and center like that? I mean, it is the ultimate... uh, epic golden report card to put on the refrigerator (laughs) you've got a photo on the front page of the new york times or washington post or whatever Mm -hmm. it is what's that feel like oh it's great it's a real thrill i'd be i'd be lying if i said anything else uh love seeing that sometimes you're like wait they picked that one really i would have chosen a different one (laughs) oh wow okay (laughs) 
but no, it's it's a real thrill and it's a real shot in the arm. Um, I think you know when our names are attached to the photos, you know, our photo credits go out NASA slash photographer's name and on there. It's a real. I don't get paid any more or less if my photo ends up on the front page, and yet that is an incentive it gets me excited it gets my colleagues excited about seeing your stuff in in print i mean that's that's the end game right you want you don't want to just go off and do all this and capture it and have it sit into a vault somewhere you want the world to see it so yeah it's it's a thrill it's a real thrill you've captured launches landings the highs and lows of so many different things in space uh certainly on this planet but one place you haven't been yet is space. Does Bill Ingalls want to go to space and shoot from there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get a GoFundMe started. Let's work on that. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> no, I'm joking aside. I, I would absolutely love it. I think it'd be great. You know, and, and, you know, I daydream and fantasize about what would I do if I were, quote unquote, a photographer on the space station. And um, throughout the years, I've seen that list get ticked off by uh, other astronauts that have chipped away at that list of my ideas. Don Pettit just took it to another level when he was up there doing the long exposures and tracking and, and so forth. Uh, and other astronauts since him have, have raised the bar even more. Have uh, you trained any of those astronauts? I have not trained them. Uh, they get training at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. I have been asked by a number of astronauts leading up to their launches if I had suggestions and ideas of what they might do that might be different. So, yeah. So I've got to ask this because yeah. this is this is the hard one for any photographer. But yeah. I, I, I I've got to ask you this: What's your favorite shot that you've taken? Oh Lord! And I don't. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer, man. That's a dodge. <laughs> I really don't have an answer. It changes for me all the time. And and one of the things that I do when I come back with a shoot, for example, just we just wrapped up at uh, John Hopkins uh, APL out in Maryland for the uh, New Horizons flyby of. Ultima Thule. And so well, let's say I put out 15, 20 pictures that day from the shoot. Um, I'll later sit down and look at those and they'll say, what are my favorites amongst that? And I'll save them out to my screensaver on my laptop. And my screensaver on my laptop randomly cycles through these things all the time. And I find myself over the years looking at these pictures repeatedly. And some of them I grow weary of very quickly. It's like, oh, okay, that's boring. It's, I've seen it a million times on my screensaver. It's meh. But there are a few that every once in a while I look at it and I go, no, that still rings true to me. I, I still am very proud that I made that picture. And, and I think, you know, the Maven launch I mentioned earlier with the with the birds in flight was always a big one for me. And, and Neil Armstrong, I think those ones that I mentioned earlier, those were big for me. But it's, it, you know, it's trite. And I know it's people say all the time, but you're only as good as your last shoot. And there's always what's next. And that's kind of what... You're always so what, thinking about. So what is next? What's the yeah. next thing you want? What's the next thing you want to shoot? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I really enjoy the coverage that we've done over the years in Russia in our partnership with them. I do, however, of course, miss seeing astronauts launch from U.S. soil, and I can't wait to be a part of that. You've captured a lot of history, but I'm going to give you the opportunity if you could go back, and it doesn't have to be a space answer, but if you could go back and be the photographer of note for a particular historic moment, what would you choose? Oh, it's a curveball, yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Boy, I guess I would have to stay with NASA since I've, I've really got that in my skin now, you know, and Apollo 11 probably would have been, that would have been nice. 
yeah. part of that. Absolutely. My, so, my colleague of many years ago, he's since, uh, since deceased, Bill Taub, uh, covered that, though, as well. He did fantastic work. So where would you yeah. have been on Apollo 11? Would you have wanted to, certainly want to be there for liftoff, but yeah. would you want to be a mission control when everything's going on? Where, where does Bill Ingalls want to be on Apollo I, 11? I would have done what Bill Taub did, and that was he trained with the crew, he traveled the world with the crew, and, yeah, he covered for mission control, covered the launch. And then he traveled the world with them afterwards. And just incredible. He got the whole adventure. He really did. In fact, during the Apollo anniversaries when he was still with us and Bill would show up at the event, uh, he was brought into the fold as if he was one of the crew. I mean, it was just amazing to watch that uh, experience they all had together. Yeah. That's Fantastic. wonderful. Yeah. And I still have his cameras. They were the ones in the cabinet when I first showed up. Uh, his Leica cameras... Uh, uh, still in my cabinet. They have a great history. Two Nikonos underwater cameras. I, he and I used to get together every once in a while, and I said, uh, Bill, what were the Nikonos cameras for? I don't recall seeing underwater photography. And I said, no, no. And then he threw a, a couple of swear words in there. You know, hell no. You know, what we would do is he said, I'd be out on the aircraft carrier, and, and I'd throw those cameras at the frogmen and say, take pictures, bleep, bleep, bleep. Take pictures, you know, bleep, bleep. <laughs> And so I've got those cameras sitting in our shelves. And so whenever Toasty Cam finds a shelf and a little place for it to be seen by the world, those cameras will be right there next to it with their little stories. I well. think there's a place in the Air and Space Museum that's yeah. somewhere that those need to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as you talked about Bill Taub recording yeah. all of that, you've been the recorder of so much and uh, very grateful for you spending some time sharing your story, sharing how you have made people connect with what is their space program because oh, in the you. end this is about people and you've done uh yeoman's work in sharing that and so i want to thank you bill for sharing your time and your stories with us it's been a thrill for me personally uh to share this time with you and i know the listeners of the podcast have enjoyed that as well and just like the amazing images you capture you really are one in a million uh thank you very much uh, that concludes this episode of the space foundation space for you podcast Keep your eyes and ears open for more Space For You episodes by checking out our social media outlets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and of course our website at www.spacefoundation.org. On all of those outlets and more, it's the Space Foundation's goal to inspire, educate, connect, and advocate for the space community, because at the Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thank you for listening.